Welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. Meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind. The journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey. You want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan, at least have an idea of it, because you can make this really amazing film and it only gets seen by your family and friends. Old Hollywood is still intact. Every horse runs hard, but when they win, and they know it. They've got this little sass about them. It was pretty rough. I had to go into the water and with my med pack, swim to the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the helo. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my God, you didn't touch them, did you? Even if monarchs go away and we never see one again, because there never will be monarchs again if they die out, it is just a little indicator of larger threats my dad said, so what were you guys doing in the desert? I said, we were taking nude photos. Hey everybody, I hope you had a great week since the last time that we got together. If you've been on my social media pages, you know that I have some exciting news for you, which is that the film that I am an associate producer for Fighting Olympus with a huge team of incredibly talented, amazing individuals is now out on Amazon.com. So please head on over there and enjoy it. Leave a review. We would love to hear what you think about it. And I'm just going to give you a little warning right now that this episode is all about Fighting Olympus. It's kind of to be used as a companion to the film. It has a lot of background information, a lot of information on the individuals that worked on this phenomenal film, and a lot of spoilers. So you might want to put a pin on this particular episode until you get a chance to see Fighting Olympus. If you are a filmmaker, There's a lot of tips, a lot of anecdotal stories that go along with the things that can happen during a film, as you probably know, being a filmmaker. But without further ado, I am going to get right into this interview with the creator, the director, the producer, the writer, the extraordinary... Julian V. Hampton of Vaughn Works, who put this film out. So grab a cuppa and please enjoy. <laughs> so how you doing? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I just finished watching Fighting Olympus again. You know, it's like part of my permanent collection and I sat down with uh, Sophia last night and we watched the whole thing and it was just kind of fun listening to her reactions. So I guess we should start with uh, how did Fighting Olympus come about? Well, um, I've always been a fan of mythological movies. So Clash of the Titans, movies like that. I've always grown up interested in that. I've also always grown up interested in those old kung fu movies and crime dramas. So I thought about a way to put it all together to make a modern day version of one of those mythological tales, combining all of these characters that um, we know and love or know and don't like so much, but putting them all together to make something that was really a story-based mythological tale in a modern day setting. So that's where it came together, thinking of how can we 
bridge the gap and combine all of these threads into story that's basically about family. How do I save my family? How do I protect my family? How far am I willing to go to take care of my family? I think that the concept of Hades and all of these mythological characters that are in there is really interesting because I think that we all have a thread, you know, of a Medusa in us or of a Rucker who is not a mythological person in there. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot to connect to in this film. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So all of these are based on real, well, real to an extent, the Mm -hmm. origins of the mythology, the Greek mythology. But when you really get into those stories, you start seeing that all of us go through some of the same challenges that individuals in those stories went through. All of us have felt pain. All of us have been uh, betrayed at some point or another. All of us have found love and lost love. All of us have gone through something that has made us what we are, whether it's uh, for better or for worse, it's made us who we are and what we are. So being able to examine how people became what they became, how these figures became what they became, and the main characters, uh, Rucker and Biddle, why they're so connected and why it's so important for them to do whatever they can to save each other and to save their families. Yeah, it's... um... It's hard to talk about fighting Olympus without giving some spoilers. Yeah, there's going to be some spoilers. So warning, perhaps you want to pause this episode here and go and watch the film and then come back for the rest if you don't want to hear any of the spoilers, because I'm going to go right into one right now. (laughs) <laughs> which is, you know, what you just said, the the betrayal or the pain and all of that. And it just reminds me of the mirrors in Medusa's lair. What was the significance behind putting those around? They, they all had words on them. Well, the concept, when you really think about it, it's a self-identifier of pain. So When we look in the mirror, sometimes we don't always see what we want to see. Sometimes we see the worst version of ourselves. We see the pain and the hurt and the betrayal and the uh, victimization that we do to ourselves, unfortunately. And that specific creation was really born out of how does one look at themselves in the mirror and what do they say? And what would it look like if the words were actually there that conveyed what someone thought of themselves. So in this particular scene, and uh, I'll speak broadly enough not to give too much away, but um, in this particular scene uh, in, in Medusa's lair, she's able to have these mirrors basically convey what she sees in herself and what others perceive her as. And it's pretty powerful when you think about it because what would our mirror say if we thought the worst of ourselves and how could we change them? How could we break that reflection if we started thinking better of ourselves and speaking to positivity in our lives? So it's just the pain reflected off of the mirror back at her. And we all do that to ourselves. You're right. Way too often. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. It's so cool to watch these scenes and remember what it was actually like that day, all of the effort that 
We went into watching the various characters rehearsing, you know, putting sets together, putting design together. <laughs> it was it was a lot of uh, work in the background that looks so seamless and just effortless on the finished product. And that's really satisfying to watch this story that was on paper at one time come mm-hmm. to life. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, when you think about it and... Yeah, I can go back to post-it notes and little scraps of paper, writing down ideas and trying to flesh them out and turn them into something. And, you know, your amazing help and kind of putting some of these concepts together and discussions. And it, it it's so cool to see something that started out so small actually become something that's a finished product, a a movie, a film that people can look at and enjoy and learn from and question and all of those great things. So I recently did a post on Instagram and Facebook, one of the earlier uh, storyboards that I did for one of the scenes and just showcasing how when you start from something so basic and move into something that's actually a production, it's just satisfying. It feels so wonderful to be able to share that with people. And sometimes you have to let the challenges of the production go and just enjoy the finished product because realistically, fans don't care. Uh, Viewers don't care. They just want to see a good film. So, But we know behind the scenes, (laughs) We know behind the scenes of what made it and all the sacrifices that cast and crew made and the work that went into it. And sometimes even still them questioning, what is this supposed to be? (laughs) And then they watch the movie and say, oh, I get it now. Okay, that's what that meant. And, And that feels good. Right. Because it's just like that meme that they have about life where it says everybody thinks that it's linear like this. And you see the line just diagonally going up <laughs> across the paper. And they're like, and then the next one is, but the reality is, and then it veers off and then it goes in a bunch of little circles and then it finally straightens out <laughs> a little bit. And, and yeah. I think that the middle of any project is chaos and really there's a lot of little bits of chaos. It just doesn't look like any of it is going to come together because there's so many separate pieces. And it's not until the very end that you're able to take all of these pieces kind of like a puzzle and put them all together. And then the layering that you were talking about with that storyboard, because there were all those meetings at the beginning, you know, you've got the first layer of the idea then you've got the next layer turning it into something that you can read and then flesh out those ideas in storyboard form and then finally getting everybody together and going, all right, we're going to do this. But it's a lot of work because there's so many locations. There's so many props and, you know, and like the Hummer, your Hummer story, (laughs) try to bring all of that together. That was like a really long drive in that car. (laughs) Well, it's the sacrifices you make for the love of a production. Filmmakers are kind of like mad scientists. We see what the outcome should look like. And we're putting in all of these crazy ingredients and spices and formulas to make something that once it explodes, you hope it becomes what you saw in the beginning. So that's kind of where we 
are in. The Hummer story is a really great illustration of that because it's always great to have those extra visuals in there, but you have to find ways to make it happen. So driving a few miles per hour for a long distance in a Hummer is not as relaxing as it looks like, <laughs> looks like uh, on TV. It's pretty rough. And taking that long drive with the other producer, Derek Horniak, and just having this conversations where neither of us could hear each other, it was such... <laughs> A fun story. It wasn't fun at the time. But when you look back and you say, wow, we made it somehow over rough terrain, over a long distance, but it added a unique take on one of those well-known stories and really added a visual element that was worth the sacrifice. Having heard from Derek about that ride, it sounded like you guys were basically in a popcorn machine bouncing around <laughs> and, like you said, not moving very fast because it didn't have the horsepower in there for some reason. Well, it, it's a Hummer. It's not intended for speed. It's intended for rough terrain. So we made it work. And the great thing is we always have a story that we can tell when someone says, oh, that's too much to do for a production, we can always encourage them and say, hey, guess what we did to make this production possible? And, and that's the magic of filmmaking. You may see something for 20 seconds, 30 seconds in a film and not realize that it really took five, six, seven hours to give you that 20 seconds, 30 seconds of enjoyment on screen. And it's worth it. It's always an interesting story to tell. It's always something that you can take pride in, that you were willing to do the extra. The whole thing is an adventure. Every yes. every scene is an adventure in itself. There are things in that film that took a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of effort, um, a lot of sacrifice, like you said, because there are not very many special effects in it. It's not like a super special effects film. And one of the things that I hear a lot is you can add the effects in edit. And that mm -hmm. is not always the case. So there, there's a lot that you can do in edit, but you can't always fill in like these big gaps or create things not without huge expense that you didn't take the time to do in real life. So it is mm -hmm. worth the effort. And, you know, if you want to have a scene look the way that you envision it, you have to put that work in. Yeah, absolutely. That's what separates the levels of production, especially at the level that I'm at right now with filmmaking. That's what the difference is. How much effort did you put into it? Yes, you can spend half of your budget on special effects, but reality, unless you're spending a huge amount of money, it could look like the budget you're paying for it, right? Um, that's one of those you get what you pay for. Now, we were fortunate in the limited special effects we had that we had some people that did a great job. But the most effective thing is doing it practically. Mm -hmm. I recently had a panel speaking engagement in San Bernardino. Uh, and thank you for hosting us. Uh, talking to filmmakers about how do you create scenes? How do you create props? How do you do things when you don't have a lot of money to get it done. And it's all about creativity. It's all about what can I make look like what I see. And I think 
if I had to say one of the stronger points of this film was being able to have things that really spoke to the characters, that spoke to the environment without using special effects to compensate for it. So uh, it's a lot of work, but when you're done, you can take pride that it looks realistic enough, right? You're not going to have a real grenade. You shouldn't. <laughs> I would advise against it. But if you can make something look like a grenade, you're going to be in a much better place budget-wise and visually. Do you have a effect something that was created that is a favorite of yours or that you're particularly proud of in that film? You mean like a props or set dressing or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would say the one that I enjoy creating the most is there's a scene with Apollo where the main character, Rucker, played exceptionally well by Leslie Jones. That scene, there was a bust of Zeus and that was hand created. And I, I really had fun creating that because... I wanted to add some visuals in there that really looked authentic, but that I could create myself. So a lot of work in the backyard, a lot of spray paint, but on camera, it added a little something extra. So it's those little things. Like what, what is it that someone will just catch a glimpse of? They may not focus on it. It doesn't have to be a major part of the scene, but it's something that people will see and say, hmm, that's interesting. Wow. That's pretty cool. And once you have that, enough of those moments really impact your set. It doesn't look boring. It's not just white walls and people discussing things. It's actually a movie, a set. It looks the part and it makes people feel like you've invested the time and energy and budget into it when really it's mostly about just being creative. Yeah, I remember that bust. And, and to me, it stood out in that scene. And for some reason, I thought, he's going to tell me about that Apollo scene. Because it was, <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of creativity that went into that from the lighting in the aisles to the way that it was shot. And yes. it's just a remarkable scene in numerous ways. And just really great acting by, uh, like you said, Leslie A. Jones and Benjamin Sadiq. And yeah. um, and all of the stunt people, everybody was amazing. I think that they definitely should be proud of all of their acting. And there are some performances that really stand out to me in the film. Mm -hmm. For example, Alex Bankier as oh, yeah. Aries, Athena's crazy brother. And, you know, really, uh, another spoiler is going to come up here, a couple of them. And I keep mentioning Medusa, who was played by Haley Jackson. And I think she keeps coming up because not only is she a really dynamic character, but she's also an incredible actor. And I remember how much focus and concentration she would put into her parts and just really wanted to represent Medusa well. And there's the scene at the very end of her life. And it is so incredible. The realness that she put into that scene is so yeah. painful. But also the scene where she and Rucker are talking to one another and she's talking about the loss of her son 
And Rucker says, I'll help you find your son. And all of the story that was conveyed in just that one look, like, yeah. you don't understand how much pain I've gone through. You have no idea how hard I've tried. This is almost impossible. And, you know, I think we all perhaps know somebody I know, I, I know a couple of women who have unfortunately lost their children um, mm-hmm. legally and unfairly, in my opinion, and the pain that they go through to get their children back. Um, yes. And especially, you know, when it when it's like a part of a divorce or something. Um, and just seeing all of that in Medusa's face in that moment was really powerful. Yeah, she's a wonderful actress, hardest working actress. She's asking for tips, watching video, learning more about Medusa's story and backstory. Uh, Because there's a lot to even the mythology of Medusa that a lot of people don't know or have never read about. And painting that character not just as some monster that wants to hurt people, but as a person that's been hurt, that's going through some challenges and really only desire is to save her child, to get her child back. Which, as you said, there's so many women that have been in that same position where they've lost their child to lost custody, lost their child to drugs, lost their child to some event. But her capturing of that pain, her also capturing the strength, right? Um, it, mm-hmm. It's I, I want wanted to project an image of strength in her and strength in a woman that could use the help but doesn't need the help. Right? She's strong, but you're stronger when you have those people supporting you, and that's where it came from. So she was awesome. Loved working with her. Look forward to working with her again. She put in so much effort into bringing out the character, the pain, the joy, the the fight, uh, and I'm so appreciative of her. And you also mentioned a couple of people, Alice Bankier as Aries, just an amazing talent with great stunt skills, great martial arts skills, also just character, just an awesome character, the way he projects kind of a, a different type of character. A different type of character with a bit of a sense of humor, but also um, someone that you like not liking so much. <laughs> and right. that's, He's unhinged. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I like that. So many great characters. Uh, Devonair Mathis playing Biddle. Just hardworking, great sense of humor, has a knack for the right words at the right time. Love working with him. Corey Roberts as Cerberus, the gentle giant, the kindest, sweetest guy you'd meet, but projects such intensity. Rich Sands, speaking of intensity. <laughs> right. If you remember Rich's um, audition, yeah, as Hades. Uh, Rich, again, wonderful guy, but can convey intensity like nobody's business. So many um, great Twinkle Car, who is Ayasha, amazing, just has a knack for how to convey lines, how to change emotions, her expressions. Yeah. So hopefully as we go a little further, you know, we can talk about some of these amazing people that have made this possible. 
Definitely. I loved that unhinged quality about Aries for sure. And yeah, yeah, I do remember that audition with Rich Sands coming in. And the minute that he spoke Hades words, it was like, that's the devil. We need him. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes yeah yep you got it yep you're good yeah and, and it was funny because he walked in and he was you know very charming and yeah nice and normal and as soon as he read that script it was like the light switch changed you know yeah. and he was quite foreboding <laughs> and very scary and menacing so uh, which were all qualities that we were looking for in that particular character so he did an amazing job yes he did um then there's john luxatich as lucas amazing yes he was really awesome in that part yes when you see a character in your mind you don't necessarily want to pick what they're going to look like as much it's more of here's their vibe here's their context right and john as lucas made it so easy because he became that character so quickly it didn't take much time that kind soul that just wants to help and is willing to do whatever it takes to help. Great person to work with, did a lot behind the scenes to also help the project. He's a director and great filmmaker in his own right, having produced a few films already that are really remarkable. And he played that professor. I mean, he was just like the perfect professor, low key, but with a lot of courage in his heart. Yes, That was a wonderful character in that story that propelled a lot of storylines forward, you know, being able to tell Rucker what Hades was all about at that bar scene Mm. with Ben Sanchez as the bartender. That bar scene made me laugh because that's another story associated with making this film. Um, I woke you up one fine Sunday morning very early because I showed up at the location on the wrong Sunday in Koreatown. And that was just funny. I had actually brought Sophie with me to be one of the extras on the set. And so we ended up spending a fun day in Koreatown. But yeah, you know, there's, again, so many stories that go along with the making of and so many memorable moments as we watch it as people who were involved in the making of. So I hope a lot of that excitement is conveyed to the audience as they watch it you know, those little moments, because every shoot has a particular personality to it, right? Because it's it's a lot of times you're going to a different place, and you've got a different group of people. Some of them are throughout, and some of them are just specific to that particular shoot, that particular scene. So there's different elements that come about throughout, and hopefully they're joined together in really good excitement and good feeling there. Well, that's that's the part of filmmaking that a lot of people don't think about. It's the managerial identification. It's the flexibility, because you are working with so many different people, people you may have met five minutes ago, and you have to be able to build a bond, to work together, to see things the same way or to communicate your vision, not for the entire project, because you may not have time to do that, but to convey your vision for that specific scene 
well enough the actors, the crew, everybody can find their way right into the project. So you talked about Ben Sanchez, Mr. Everything. Anytime he could help do something, he I won't give away every one of his roles, but he's in quite a few roles. You can see him as the bartender in the bar scene, but so many people that have done a wonderful job. You, again, talked about John Lukasich and his role working with Leslie Jones and just the great connection they had going back and forth and building a relationship. And And you think sometimes you don't have a lot of time to figure it out. You have to figure it out as quick as possible. So someone doesn't show up, someone has to fill in. Someone can't make it, someone has to take on the responsibility. And I think that we pulled it off very well because if you can't tell the challenges that went on, then you know you've done a good job. Right. <laughs> if you can't look at a finished product and say, whoa, I could see where you were missing that, then you're probably doing okay. And, you know, speaking to that, it's funny because I know in one scene in particular, we were so worried that we didn't have the props that we needed. And it seemed so important at that moment. (laughs) (laughs) And we totally thought we need those props. There's not enough height here. It's going to look too stark. And in watching that scene, it was excellent. You know, like it was not that important. And so the reason I'm bringing that up is for Mm -hmm. any filmmakers that are listening to this, sometimes you just have to go and do the best that you can. And in the final product, you realize that, you know, whether it's five minutes or five hours of suffering that you're going through over the loss of one small thing, you've got to put it into perspective. And in the end, what you have to do is do the best that you can with what you have and really focus on creating the best performance and creating the best scene and just bringing everybody together towards that goal. And a lot of times you're going to find that, you know, especially if it's a prop or something like that, yeah, it's not really missed because like you said earlier, it's only going to be on screen for a very small amount of time and then it moves on into the next scene. So that's something else to remember that if you don't have exactly what you need at that moment, you're going to be shooting for a day maybe and missing it for that day. But when you've got the film, it won't be noticed because there's so much else going on and there's scenes before and after that are building up to that moment and then it passes. And so it's not missed if all of that made sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, really what you're talking about, you have to be flexible and you have to be creative. So there's many things that happen during the shoot, but uh, my mentality from the beginning was whatever it takes, we're going to get this done. And so it doesn't matter. Yeah, someone forgot a prop. Okay, we make a new one real quick. Someone canceled. Okay, we find someone, we adapt. Whatever it is, if you, for filmmakers, if you can find a way to adapt you're going to reach success. We did part of the filming during the pandemic. Um, People changed hairstyles, people changed looks, everything that could happen happened, but we found a way to rewrite scenes and recreate scenes and change the story to adapt to where people are in their life. So I think 
if you have that element of being able to adapt, just find a way to make it work, right? Like I always say this, it takes longer to complain about it than it does to fix it. (laughs) That's the truth, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You could just sit there and complain and whine and feel sorry for yourself, or you can find a way to get it done. Okay. Right. Um, So I think that's helped us get through and find that success because whatever problems came, we had a team of people that were willing to adapt. Um, I think of one of our last shoots when we're all standing outside painting props, right? And I was just (laughs) thinking about that. I have a picture of many hands with spray paints painting a wall. And that was another thing I was thinking about was just how wonderful sometimes you get people who are really excited about what you're doing, even though they're not a part of the project. So for example, that location, the manager or the owner of that location heard your vision and said, I've got all of that here. And, And then he actually pulled out that board and said, if you get the spray paint, you guys can do this. And then he actually helped us put that wall together. And it's really wonderful when you can create that kind of connection, uh, that kind of excitement with people who aren't even officially part of the project. So it's building that family, that connection, that excitement, and conveying your story effectively enough that you've got people who are just willing to lend a hand. And that's sense of pride and ownership where we were all, you know, you need us there early, we'll be there early, you need us to do this, sure. And bringing things in or connecting with people who could help us get the goal completed was, um, you know, again, it's a lot of work, but it feels really satisfying in the end and and to be able to talk about it so positively, you know, because it was a very positive experience despite the challenges. And sometimes challenges are what make an experience really great. You know, it's, it's being able to overcome them and come out with a, with a successful end to them. Yeah. Well, I think when, when, when you talk about people willing to help, willing to support if you have the enthusiasm, people will look to support you, right? When you go in and you say, hey, I got this great vision, this awesome project, and you show a glimpse of what the vision looks like, as you mentioned, the owner at the one location, getting them excited, having him say, wow, I've never seen our location look like this before. This is crazy, right? That's almost verbatim what he said. Yeah, yeah. So that means that your creativity, and I say share creativity because it's not just all me. We have so many people that were a part of helping create that vision. But uh, when I bring a picture, when I draw a picture and I say, this is what it looks like, and people can actually say, well, yeah, I have that. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. That's when you start building that sense of community on a project, because now he's going to be forever connected to things we do. Not just this project, but projects in the future, because he played a such important role. And so many other 
locations along the way, vendors along the way, cast and crew along the way, just made it possible. And that'll propel us into more projects in the future. Right. A lot of good people deserve thanks for helping make Fighting Olympus what it is, for sure. I wanted to bring up a couple of other people that I feel put in some really amazing performances. Playing opposite Rich Sands Hades was Lila Shaker as Persephone. And that was such a powerful story with her just wanting to go home and, you know, being kidnapped. And just like the mythological story that everybody is familiar with, she took that bite. And it changed her in really powerful ways. Yeah, she was she was amazing to work with. Such a professional. She really got into the character quickly, able to convey the quiet sadness, the elements of hope, and then the elements of change that occur. And, and again, it's a common theme with character arches. Where did the change happen? What made the change happen? And it doesn't always mean your arch changes for the best, right? <laughs> it sometimes, yes. sometimes you may change a different way. And it's such as life, such as life. So I loved working with her. She was so flexible, so willing to put in the extra effort and grateful for her performance. Definitely. Yeah. Then, you know, there's a couple of other people that were a big part and very, very behind the scenes, but very effective in making this film what it is. And one of them was the fight coordinator, Clyde Insey. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, Clyde was so great to work with. He was the primary vision behind some of the fight coordination, the stunt coordination. We worked together very well. Clyde is an exceptional martial artist. And he had a tough task. He needed to work with some experienced stunt people and some experienced martial artists, along with some that had never done that before. And to be able to blend those two groups together and find a way to bring out the best in someone who's never had that type of training and make it safe. Clyde did an extraordinary job. If anyone has been in action type movies with any fight scenes, you know how dangerous it can be and um, to be able to sell it, there's a possibility of someone getting hurt. And we definitely didn't want that because we wanted to keep everyone safe. But Clyde took great care in making sure that people were safe, that no one was hurt, that no one was injured, and no one was pushed past the point of their capacity or their capabilities. So really appreciated Clyde's hard work and his um, kindness and his commitment throughout the process. Definitely. And, you know, he had to train, like you said, some people who had never done a fight scene in a very limited amount of time. There were, of course, some rehearsals prior to the actual shoot, but still it was very limited amount of time. And he was so successful at training them properly for the shot. And it was just such a pleasure to watch those scenes because they were so effective and, and very exciting. Yeah, it was. And not having professional stunt training and just basically knowing how to fight, but not knowing how to take a movie punch. I got to be part of those rehearsals and it is not easy. I give the actors so many props 
I will tell you, faking a punch or faking taking a punch is very, very difficult. I flinched <laughs> a lot and I swung back a lot, and that's not right. what you're supposed to do. So <laughs> it takes a lot of practice. Yeah, it takes tons of practice, and Clyde made it enjoyable. Clyde made it fun between him and Alex Bankier and Benjamin Sanchez. We had some awesome people that really helped us create some unique takes on some fight scenes. Absolutely. And it's a serious workout, too. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. I, I felt the burn a little bit afterwards. <laughs> That's so cool. And one more person I wanted to mention that made those scenes so realistic when nobody actually was battered and beaten was Marcy Quintana, who was oh, yeah. uh, makeup. And she just did such a phenomenal job creating bruises. And actually, uh, one of the things that uh, Becky Hampton did was also some of that makeup. She created that scar on Ben's face for the bar scene that was really spectacular. But um, Marcy did a lot as well. And, you know, kudos to her for making those injuries look very realistic. Yeah, I agree. We had a team of wonderful makeup artists, and Marcy really showcased their talent throughout making sure that people looked the part making sure that yes the bruises and the effects makeup but also just the makeup that makes it look like a film you don't want sometimes the separation between budgets of a film are details like having a good makeup artist being able to make people look presentable on camera and she did an amazing job with that. Such a great worker, such a great person, so kind, so enthusiastic about everything. And mm -hmm. being able to see her in the film acting a little bit was also awesome. I really enjoyed having her on set. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that I'm thinking about, too, in preparation, now that we talked about Clyde, is that there was also another person who is really as well very hidden behind the scenes and it was the coordinator for the SWAT team scene. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Pharaoh Barrett, wonderful training. It, it was nice for all of us that were part of the SWAT team to get some in-depth training on weapons, how to hold weapons, how to run with weapons, some of the maneuvers. Uh, because you want it to feel as realistic as possible. Yes, it's a film, and yes, these are actors, but you want it to feel realistic. And Pharaoh taking time with us and talking to the cast and crew about not only what it should look like, but why it is the way it is and why certain things aren't the way they should be. So uh, if you think of certain movies and you wonder, okay, is that how people really would react we wanted to get past that and make it better. And Pharaoh was so instrumental in getting us prepared for that training. Absolutely. And I have to add, because it's such a big story since last year, is the, the weapons safety. He really made sure that the weapons were being handled safely. But they also, I want to throw in that they were not real weapons. And that's, you know, with the very sad and tragic situation on the rust scene, um, mm -hmm. that's one of the discussion points that has come out over and over 
why do we have to use real weapons? And if you take a look at Fighting Olympus, we did not use real weapons. I mean, a couple of them really looked like toys up close and in person. But when you take a look at the final product, they all look like real weapons. And despite that, Pharaoh was still very adamant that I'm training you on these weapons that are not real, but I'm also going to train you as though they were. And he had safety first and foremost in that training. Yeah, anytime you're handling a weapon, regardless of what you think it is, you just have to assume it's real. Just assume it can do damage because you just don't know. You don't know what the functionality is, so you assume it's real. But we made the wise decision early in the process not to use anything that could cause any damage at all and still handle it safely, still being cautious, but make sure that there was nothing that could ever have any sort of live round or anything in it and you know safety's paramount and uh, unfortunately yeah you can see what happens when uh, there are challenges with that but we had a safe and productive experience and a lot of it was due to pharaoh yeah definitely and then you know the other violence that occurs in the film is again, hand-to-hand combat. It was all phenomenally acted out. But one of the scenes that I thought was shot with a lot of novel ideas and just very creatively was that Apollo scene. And we had Rushdi as the cinematographer that day. Yeah, Rushi was awesome. His focus on creating a natural look while also getting into the mix was really something to see and having uh, great cinematographers. We had some awesome ones throughout um, too that stand out to me again, our Spinnaker, Weston Greenberg and Rushi was phenomenal as well. And with him understanding how to shoot fight scenes, how to get certain angles and just being creative with the different visualizations and angles he took really served the product well. So I appreciate all of our cinematographers. They all did a great job. And, you know, I I know that the thanks often goes to the actors and deservedly so because they're the ones that bring the action to us and the visuals to us. But I think just mentioning so many different people who are behind the scenes, hopefully gives anybody who is not part of film an idea of how many moving parts and just how big of a team is behind what you see on screen and their dedication to the project just really is what makes it possible and then again you had mentioned your editor earlier because it just continues on it's just kind of like this continuum of behind the scenes people until you finally get it on screen and able to show it so it's been a great journey with a huge group of amazing amazing individuals that, you know, I'd be really proud to work with all of them again at any point. Yeah, I agree. Me too. I'm just thinking about the story itself. Mm -hmm. And all of those characters are connected to one another. I mean, especially Caroline Hallam's Athena is a thread throughout. Clearly, she wants to kill Medusa. 
And so she ends up being a very strong thread throughout, but they're mm-hmm. all connected. You've got Poseidon in there, who is connected to Medusa and Chris Sauer, who is played by yeah, Riley Locke. Riley Locke. What a strong performer at such a young age. I mean, the his ability to turn on tears and really pull at your heartstrings was amazing. Yeah, it, it is. I, I can't imagine being at that age and being in so control of your emotions. I just think when I was that age, if someone asked me to play that role, I probably would just run away and play with my Legos. So right. I don't know. I don't know what I would do. But yeah, a young professional did a wonderful job, was able to convey the emotions of a child in turmoil, a a child that's facing some significant challenges and significant influences. And again, you can see the threads between that and life. Young people facing significant pulls this way, that way, and being emotionally challenged and damaged in the process of trying to find who they're supposed to be. So those threads all run together. You mentioned Caroline Hallam, who not just great with her martial arts performance, but just an awesome actress, very professional, got that intensity that we were looking for in Athena, being intense, but also having a sense of what's right in her heart. It doesn't mean it's right, but she knew what she wanted. She knew what her goals were. And having that play between Caroline's character, Athena, and Ares really made it an interesting story. I also want to give props to MJ Vargas, who played Poseidon, because again, he played a major role in encapsulating the story and bringing everything together. Just very talented actor. And it was nice seeing those three or four characters interact and weaving their web together. There were a lot of vignettes that were going on between particular characters, but they were all tied together in Hades itself, not in the outside world. And so I kind of wanted to talk about if you could give an overview of what Hades the place was. I would say Hades, the, the real theory behind Hades in this film was a world created by someone who had their own intentions on what it should be like. So it wasn't Hades as in hell. It was Hades as in it's a creation by one man to create a society as he sees it, right? Not as it is, but as he thinks it should be. And again, without going into the individual components of the film that I would love our listeners to find out for themselves. But um, when we talk about Hades, we talk about a society that's created on one person's vision of what things look like. And we've seen that even in our real world of today where people think that this is what society should look like. We've seen that going back in the day to some of the most heinous leaders in our time. They had that same theory that this is what society should look like for me. And you also had people that saw it in the good, in a good way, where this is what society should look like for us. So Hades really is um, more of a theory, more of a thought, more of a belief of basically, as long as you follow these rules, our society is going to work out the way it should be. 
So you always have people that are opposed to the way the world is and they want to create their own. In this film, Hades did create his own society and um, we see the ramifications of doing that. Yeah, you know, when I first was envisioning what Hades was, it just brought out, you know, those societies that you were just talking about, perhaps Jonestown or Waco. Um, yeah. All of those places where somebody or some group of people decided that they weren't going to be part of the larger, broader society around them, and they were going to create a new place. And Fighting Olympus makes you think a little bit more deeply about why these communities end up not working. The rules that govern our society weren't in place. They're totalitarian, they're more rigid. And Mm -hmm. also something about Hades is that people are being kidnapped. I mean, everybody ended up there against their will. Yeah, well, it's one of those where it's kind of a catch-22 in a sense. It's against your will or is it, right? There's a question. Is it against your will or is it even if it starts initially against your will once you become a believer in whatever that is whose will is it right it's it's just one of those where you have to think a little different behind why people do what they do why they join these societies and stick with them are they in control of their decision making or are they not can they choose differently or are they so invested or corrupted where this becomes their new normal, their new life, right? You think of even something like The Matrix or movies like that. What's real is what's real to you, not what's real to me. So I think it goes a lot deeper psychologically. Think about it. Now, of course, if we put all of that in it, it would be a five-hour movie or miniseries. So <laughs> there's a lot it's of elements. going to be a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, I, I, I would be all for it, but yeah, I got to consider the viewers too because five hours is a long time. But my point is, when you dig into that, there's some elements that, of course, we had to cut out because of timing and keeping to around the timeline that we wanted to stick to. So our editor, Alex Gans, did a great job of kind of helping determine where the edit starts and stops. And I think even as much as those other elements would have spoke to the depth of the psychology, I think you get the picture. I think you get the picture enough to start thinking a little more about why do people do what they do? Why do people join these type of cults or organizations or whatever it is? And why do people even create them? And and I think this gives a different way of looking at that. That's not so black and white. I think it really comes out when you're watching Fighting Olympus and opens up a lot of questions, a lot of critical thoughts into society, you know, there's a kind of a caste system, right, where you've got Mm -hmm. gold and silver and bronze. And, you know, going back to that bar scene, there's rust masks that come in and the bartender says only gold and basically they get kicked out. And it talks about prejudice, you know, things that we've all experienced at one time or another. And I thought that was very powerful. Yeah, I think the key that I wanted to do was showcase some societal issues without being overly preachy. Let people see, okay, even in what's considered a perfect world or a perfect society, you still have those same 
challenges. You still have prejudice. You still have crooked authority figures, people that are doing things that are not the right thing to do. So as long as there's human beings involved, there's going to be challenges involved. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make sure that I got that point across that even in this place where someone created it to be the perfect society, still has issues, still has flaws, major flaws, and still has people that are not doing what they should do to make it a place that's welcoming for everyone. Right. But in its inception, it really wasn't. It was a place that was welcoming to those who fit a particular mold. And that was the vision of the man Hades, who basically was a madman. So it didn't work out for a lot of people. Um, (laughs) The outside world. Now, I think that's really interesting, the contrast there. Oh, you know, because I'm talking about contrast, there's a fine line between the two of them. And actually, it's not that fine of a line, because you have the ferryman. That ferryman scene was just phenomenal. So you've got this contrast, the real world, you've got these SWAT officers, brothers, how did that story develop into getting them into this other world that is not even on on maps? Well, Basically, Hades is in the real world underneath the real world, if that makes sense. So sometimes things are right in front of you. Sometimes there's cultures that are beneath where you are, and that's where Hades comes in. So in the real world or the other conceptual world, we have Rucker and Biddle, who are the brothers that are moving on from being in the police force, right? Being in the SWAT team. And their main goal is to help people, to save people, to support their families. They really have a disdain for the corruption that's going on in the police world. So they want to fight against that. And, you know, that's timely as well, as we're seeing so much corruption and negativity and pain caused through the police force. But Rucker and Biddle, that's not them. They speak against that. They don't like it. They want to stand up for the people that need help. But events in their life cause them to move on from that. And that starts that hero's journey into that other side. So where Hades exists, it's kind of a subculture of a culture. It's a world within a world. We didn't want to make it too mystical to where people flying around and shooting real thunderbolts and all of that. Right. It's that concept, but with a twist. It's that concept that we can relate to because all of these situations we've been through. So Rucker having to make a decision on his job versus his life. Biddle having to make a decision, family versus his job. Rucker having to put everything on the line to fight for his family. Biddle doing the same. And to see these two men fighting for each other, going to the depths of Hades for each other, is a story that we could probably all relate to because we are all willing to go as far as we can to save the people that we love. Just wrapping all of that together, this powerful story of these SWAT officers and everything that you just said and that family unity and then the mythological portions of it and the journey that they have to take to find one another and in the process meeting all of these different characters and some of them like Medusa's character again who is such a big part of the story they are willing to help 
and actually bring some empathy towards. And, you know, like another thing I wanted to mention since I'm back on Medusa is that I think in Fighting Olympus, she really was presented in a way that she normally is not. And I really thought that was great because there was so much more to her than just she's a monster as she is in so many other films. It's like, who is Medusa and why does she become that way? And you had touched a little bit on that earlier, but I meant to add that then that it was really refreshing to see a bigger uh, story and much more of her life presented. But just bringing all of that together and then, you know, being able to see what happens at the end, it shows how that challenge was accepted and understood and put together so effectively. Yeah, thank you. Well, I I think about Medusa's story and she's not a one-dimensional character. And so often that's how she's been portrayed. Just like all of us, when you think about it, what would happen if we were captured at our worst possible moment? Would people consider us a monster? What would they think about us if you just took a snapshot of the worst we've become in life without looking at how we became that way or how we transform to be better people, better us. So I really wanted to dig deeper into not only her struggles, not only what made her what people typically see her as, but also what makes her tick, what makes her heart felt. What is her goal? What is her drive? What does she really want? Which is simple, and it's the same as most of us would want, but it's a new way to look at it. So it's really important for me in this film to kind of adjust some of the stereotypes of certain characters, some of what you say, this is what that character should always be portrayed as. I know you spoke to Charon, who's a ferryman, and Charles Gable's great performance in that. Mm-hmm and the intensity that he conveyed and he fit that role so well. And that's another element of, if you had to paint a picture of what these people would look like, what these characters would look like in real time today, this is what they would look like. This is what you would get. And this is some of the elements of them that take them from two dimensional to three dimensional. Definitely a spectacular film with all of that depth. And, you know, like that was one of the things that I really wanted to do with this episode is hopefully give that background, that deep thought that went into creating not just the characters, but the societies that they live in. Um, Is there anything that we missed? Yeah, I want to just give a couple more shout outs. Of course, I can't shout out every single person, but a couple other people. You mentioned um, Benjamin Sadiq as Apollo. So awesome to work with. Such an intellectual, such a professional. Played that role exceptionally well. Pamela Rose Rodriguez as a reporter. Just a joy to work with her. Anika Barbosa. Wonderful working with her. She did so much behind the scenes to make the production move forward and to help things out. Amber Ford, who played Bristol. Maureen Germain, who played Janie, did such a great job bringing that role to life and connecting with Biddle and her relationship. Also, also want to thank some of the cast and some of the crew. So Derek Horniak, who is another producer on the project, as well as some of our cinematographers like Spinnaker Western Greenberg. 
So everybody, I just appreciate everyone's help. And if I miss someone, charge it to my heart and charge it to our time. But I do want to say thank you to everybody who was involved in the project. And I hope that everyone gets a chance to watch us on Amazon.com. Leave a review. We want to know what you think and enjoy the experience. Oh, I'm sorry. I can, I, can I throw out two more? Two oh, most gosh, yes. Uh, you. Thank you so much for your support, <laughs> your support from the beginning, your creativity and you seeing the vision early on and oh, thank you. kind of riding with me throughout the process. And also the most wonderful Becky Hampton for also doing everything it took in this project to bring it to fruition. So many roles, too many to name, but just there from the beginning, helping this project move forward. Thank you. Thank you both. I loved working with Becky. I loved working with both of you. I am really appreciative. Thank you so much for allowing me to be part of this project. It was such a pleasure. And I think you can hear it in both of our voices as we talk about this, how exciting it was to create it and now see it on Amazon. It's just a very memorable time in my life. And I look forward to working with you again on some other projects, which is what I wanted to get to. Thank you. I know you've got a couple of other projects that you've got Black Box. Yeah, Black Box, which is our first. You know uh, what? Before I move on, I'm sorry. I just wanted to mention one more thing about Fighting Olympus. Yeah. Um, so one of the cool things, too, that has come out of this film is the awards and the nominations. Yeah. So we did win a couple of awards, which I'm just so grateful for, because when you think about it, you have so many people that are vying for these awards. And we've been fortunate that people have enjoyed what we did and what we put together. So uh, we did win the National Black Film Festival as Best Feature Film. Yeah, that was pretty big deal. Left tons of competition, and we did so well. And also the Urban Action Showcase and Expo. That was a pretty huge event in New York, and we won the Best yes. Urban Action Feature Film. And then we had another one that we were the finalists in, and the Auction Fest and Market. So yeah, it's. Always awesome to win awards, but what really is special to me is when people say, I really enjoyed what you did, right? That goes mm -hmm. so long away with me because that means that they felt something. They got something out of what we put on screen. And uh, really, that's, that's what you do it for. You do it to share what's in you with others that get a chance to watch the film. So thank you all of these festivals. Yes, and you also have some other projects that you've been moving towards and along the way have been working on. So one of them is Black Box, which I think is completed, right? Yes, Blacked Box, B-L-A-C-K-E-D. Black Box is still in the festival circuit. So it's winning quite a few awards right now. Uh, it's doing really, really well. So it's a thriller. Basically, it's about a man that finds this mysterious black box. He has to learn its secrets before it affects him and those around him. So pretty intense, but um, it's been well received. As I mentioned, we just came back from... San Bernardino winning an award out there for it and um, quite a few more festivals it'll be in before we get it out for distribution. So thank you everyone that was involved in that project. Yeah, and congratulations. 
Yeah, thank you. There's many, many, many more to come. So the train is just getting started. So <laughs> so you'll be seeing a lot more of Vine Works in our projects. Nice. That's so exciting. And I'm really glad that you continue to create. It's nice to be able to escape into a film and just uh, have a couple of hours of entertainment. Yeah, that's all it is. When I talk to people about filmmaking, I say it's really just expensive make-believe. So if people want to get a hold of you mm-hmm. um, or just take a look at your projects, because you do a whole lot more. I didn't even mention half of this. You're a writer. You're a musician. Yeah. You've got so many talent, because you wrote a lot of the music, too, or you do write a lot of the music for your projects. Yes, yeah, well, some of the projects. So we, again, we had a great team of composers that worked on Fighting Olympus and Black Box, but I was privileged to be able to do a few pieces of music in the project. I'm really enthusiastic about how it turned out. So going from my background in music production that I've done previously and being able to incorporate some of that knowledge and experience into this project really was cool. It's cool. Anytime you can add a little bit of yourself, a little more of yourself into a project, yeah, I'm all for that. That's incredible. So if people want to get a hold of you and see all of the things that you've done, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I'll say right now, I would encourage people to check out Fighting Olympus. If you want to uh, learn more about the project, you can either go to our website, which is vonworks.com, V-A-U-G-H-A-N-W-O-R-K-S.com. You can find us on Facebook under Fighting Olympus. You can find us on Instagram under Fighting Olympus. So those would be the best ways to reach out to us and to check out the film on Amazon.com. Love for you to check out the film. Love for you to connect with us. Leave your contact information so we can add you to the mailing list for upcoming movies. If you had one thing to share with the world, what would it be? I would say that never... Stop fighting for your dreams, right? We all have things that we've desired to do, that we've desired to be, and they just don't happen just by you existing. You have to fight for them. You have to go for them. People are going to tell you you can't. People are going to tell you it'll never work. People are going to tell you that it's not good enough. But as long as you're willing to fight for what you believe in, fight for what you dream of doing, fight uh, for what you dream of becoming, you're going to be successful. So I would say that fight and never stop fighting. Never put down your guard. Keep your guard up. And eventually you'll knock out all the doubt. Yeah. Stay focused. Move forward. Yeah. Don't allow those obstacles, smash those obstacles and make them as little as they could possibly be and and get where you need to go. There is nothing better than seeing your hard work and that of your entire team shown. We are all so excited about this opportunity to present the award-winning Fighting Olympus to you. So please tell your family and friends about this big dream that came true. Watch it and rate it on Amazon.com. I hope that we've inspired you to make your dreams happen. Whether it's a film or a book or something beyond my imagination, just get started and keep going. 
The creative process is a magical journey worth taking. Check out the show notes for how to watch the film and much more. And please also take a moment to rate this episode because your ratings really do help move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming In the Company of Friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com, all at The Queen Trail Podcast. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E-L-L-E podcast. I am Syl Annan, The Queen Trail. And until next time, I wish you passion, grace, creativity, teamwork, perseverance, the courage to dream, elegance, and beauty.